If you would turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, we're taking a little bit of time off from the gospel of Mark just in the next couple of, uh, probably next six or seven weeks, get back to it after the holidays. Uh, but I've been, I, I got to tell you, this is kind of a shameless plug, but uh, I, I've really been enjoying our Friday men's group. Um, the, one of the things that the Lord has challenged me with in the last season uh, is, is to really re-engage with our men because there was a season uh, just because of a lot of night things that I was doing and then just some health things that I just, man, I couldn't do it. And, and, and it's just been such a joy and a blessing now to get back with our men. And so on Friday mornings, we've been doing this study on men of the Bible and really it's, a, it's just a real flyby, uh, but we're looking at these men of the Bible uh, and, and just how their issues apply to us as men. And it was really wonderful. Uh, it just seems like each Friday something different kind of happens. And uh, after I concluded our study this week and I prayed, um, after I was done, one of the brothers, he, uh, he just shared something from his heart, from it was just a quick thing, from felt like the Lord spoke to him while I was praying from Isaiah chapter 6. His whole focus was in there in Isaiah. It says that um, uh, me a man, woe of man of unclean lips, uh, coming into the presence of God. And, and God says, listen, I'm going to clean your lips. I'm going to clean your speech. I'm going to take care of you. And I'm going I'm to bless you. Just come unto me. And his word, it was kind of cool because as he was sharing it, you know how it just gets quiet? And it's kind of like, you know, guys, it's kind of like that E.F. Hutton thing where guys just kind of start to dial in. And, um, and these guys were just listening and because he was just sharing. And it was just a real quick thing about just come to Jesus and experience his life and his love and his wholeness and his holiness. And that wasn't necessarily his words, but it's kind of what I protracted and gleaned from it. But it was just a powerful time for the guys. And I was sitting there watching the guys, and, and, and this is like nanoseconds of time. And I said, wow, these guys, they're, 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 they're nibbling, they're biting on this. And I thought, wow, we've all got to be reminded of that kind of stuff. Very simple, but we just got to be reminded of how Jesus calls us to him. And so this morning, I just want to, I want to remind you of a few basic truths that I think that the Lord would want to encourage us with and never let us forget for us that that's what he brings to our life and he wants to give to us day by day by day so that only then can we go out and give it to the people around us. So... Uh, just Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 1, says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. Every one of you are here that this morning, loved ones. You're here because of God's will. Oh, you may, may have made the choice, but ultimately it's because of the sovereign work of Jesus in your heart and your life. And he says to the saints and believers in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have to understand that you really don't experience peace in your life until you experience the grace of Jesus. Now, here's some of these basic needs that every person has that they need. And I'm going to just underscore them. There's really three basic things I want to talk about this morning. But he says, blessed be the God of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. When you come to Jesus, you get the whole package. And sometimes we forget that. It's all indwelling in us in the life of Christ and the presence of his spirit. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. 
And you're going to notice this phrase over and over, in Christ, in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. I love what the evangelist and pastor D.L. Moody said about this verse. He said, I'm so glad he chose me before I was born because I don't think he would have chosen me after I lived. And I think, wow, isn't that the truth? But probably not. But every one of us loved ones has been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And it says to be holy and blameless in his sight. Notice this, in love. It's one of the things everybody needs. He predestined us and he adopted us through Jesus Christ for himself, according to his favor and will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he favored. That word favored there, some of your translations uh, will say accepted. That we, he accepted us within the beloved. We have been accepted in Christ. I love that in. Everything is in. We've been accepted. And it really has the idea that because of what Jesus did, we have been embraced. Uh, do you ever feel like you just need to be embraced? You just need to be open and you just need someone to embrace you. That's what Christ does every day in every way. And he says, verse seven, and in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins and trespasses according to the riches of his grace. I love this, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. There's some basic truths I think that we all need and everyone is, the first thing that we have to understand is you know we're all equally needy? Do you understand that? We all have needs. We're all broken due to the fall in our life. It doesn't matter how good we look. It doesn't matter how put together we look. And some, and some of us obviously we're just more broken than others. It's more noticeable to others. But some of us look a lot better, don't we? And you know what it is? It's because we're able to manage our image a little bit better, which isn't always bad because you don't want to just be this person that's always a, you know, a, the, the needy one that everybody has to, you know, hover around. But every one of us loved ones is broken in some place in our hearts and in our lives that continually needs the touch of Jesus Christ. Some of us are better at keeping it together. Some of us have more needs in greater degree. But I think you understand this. You know, people in Somalia need food as much as we do. The difference is, is they may look like they need it more because they have less and we have more. See, we're all equally needy. And for some, they always got to be needy and let it be known for others. It's hard to admit needs. And we've, you know why? It's really because we've been so programmed to not let anybody know that maybe there's some weakness or there's some difficulty or there's some pain. And what we've really created is, even in the church, now, I don't think so much in Creekside, but there's probably a little bit of it, but we've kind of, it's so easy in culture and especially in church to create this whole idea that it's not okay to not be okay. Have you ever noticed that? We, we, we really can't be okay with not being okay. And so what happens is people begin to stash stuff and they don't have anywhere to go with it. So they, they really don't become real. They just kind of wear this facade. When we come together on Sunday morning, we, 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 we're not able to be truth tellers or truth givers or truth helpers. But it's really the very reason that Jesus came 
to this world because we've all been affected by sin and every one of us need help. Now, now let me say one more thing parenthetically. Not only are we affected and broken by our sin, but do you, do you, you, you'll understand this. Sometimes some of our failure and some of our difficulties come not just because we're sinners, but it's because, well, we're human. We get tired or we don't have the skills or the gifts or necessarily the abilities to do the things that we feel we need to do. So there's two things. There is sin, but sometimes things happen just because we're human. I've alluded to this, and and one of these days I am going to teach on it and tell you the whole story. But uh, for me, three years ago, I wouldn't call it a breakdown, but there was just a breaking of some things in my life. There was this collision course of, of so many things that took place in my life where I'd, done, I'd just done a massive amount of funerals, and some of them were just really high-octane, heavy-duty, just heavy funerals. And I remember sitting right here in one of them, and I just, I just wanted to lose it. I just, what in the heck am I doing? I don't even know what to say. This is so beyond me. And it was really the first time in my life where I thought like, wow, I am, I, am, I'm, I am just not all together. And then it was probably about, uh, probably three weeks later, I actually sat in a leadership meeting with some of our leaders and I just, uh, I just broke down crying and I just, I, had, I got some problems. And it wasn't sin. It's, there was just this collision course of all of these things that were taking place in my life, and I began to understand that it wasn't that I'd lived a whole life. My whole life was this way. It wasn't okay to not be okay at some point in my life. And because I'd lived that way for so long, my soul had just become so totally depleted, and, and literally it was breaking, and I couldn't, for the first time in my life, I couldn't point to something and say this was the reason. And I literally went away for two weeks. And just went into heavy duty, I mean, just counseling. I, I, I didn't see anybody, I didn't talk to anybody for two weeks except a counselor. And it wasn't because of sin, it's simply because I was so human. My soul had become so depleted. And part of it was just simply because it, it wasn't okay to not be okay, and I couldn't tell people that, man, I, I'm doing a funeral, I don't even know what to say. I don't know what to do. I'm facing stuff and I just, I couldn't do it anymore. And I've learned and I'm learning that I have to be able to receive help. You know why? Because see, I'm the one, I'm the one that says, I can preach it, everybody needs to receive help, come on. You know, (laughs) pony up, get help if you need it. Uh, But I never could. Why is that? Well, it's because of the way that I grew up. I was the firstborn. I was a child from a highly dysfunctional family. And if there was a need, I learned to take care of myself. I basically raised myself for about six years. So I learned that, that early on that you know what you had to do? If, if there's a problem, you just swing in on this rope and you take care of whatever needs to be taken care of, whether it's for yourself or, or your, your dad that needs a little bit of help because he just couldn't do it. I think some of us have learned literally to live that way. I mean, that's kind of the American way, isn't it? I mean, that's why, guys, that's why we never ask for directions. (laughs) You know? We'll figure it out, by golly. We'll get there. And, and, And we just, that's kind of the American way. Let's not ask for help. But I want to just talk about these three needs that we all have because we're all 
equally needy in different ways. And the first one really is this. Everyone needs to know these things that Paul talks about here. Everyone needs to know that you're loved, that you have acceptance, excuse me, and you have forgiveness. See, we've been studying through the Gospel of Mark how religious people couldn't get their hearts and minds around how Jesus was so open and receptive and loved people. He loved the riffraff. He loved the outcast, but he also loved the upper crust of people. The upper crest of people. He loved everybody, and these religious people couldn't get their minds around it. But see, people need love. It's not based on performance. It's not based on what you do, but it's simply based on that you are worthy of being loved. It's not based on because or when or if or then this takes place. When you do something, it's not love that's based on performance or that it's earned love. It's simply a love that's true. Because see, all those other things, I'll love you if, when, then, because, you know, it's really an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is? Uh, It's a figure of speech that combines two contradictory terms. It's like saying this, a sanitary landfill. Have you ever heard that concept? It's like, you know, uh, legally drunk, uh, spendthrift, original copy, does that make sense, original copy? It used to be Kinko's kind of kind of slogan. You can't have an original copy. Jumbo shrimp. <laughs> Genuine nagahide. See, and, and that's how we sometimes we see this whole love thing. You can't really receive earned love. That kind of love is really, it's an arrangement. It's a deal. But it's not true love. And unfortunately, so many in our world, in our culture, probably a lot of you in this room, you've been raised on this arrangement called love. And your concept of love and your belief about love and acceptance is that you've got to earn it. And so now you struggle with much of your life, always trying to measure up and get love from somebody or from some people. And it's the old country and western song where you begin to look in love in all the wrong places, in all the wrong ways, because you're trying to earn it. You're trying to deserve it. And what's so amazing, loved ones, is you know what? When we start living like that, there comes a point where it really switches, where you really you still don't feel worthy because you know you're doing everything to earn it. And then you start getting it, and what happens? You begin to push it away, or you'll sabotage it because you know deep down inside you're really not worthy of it. And there's people sitting here today talking about love, acceptance, and forgiveness. You're going to say things like, well, you don't know what I've done. I mean, it's really hard for me to receive love and acceptance and forgiveness. Well, thank God, I don't ever need to know what you've done unless you'd ever need to come and just talk to me to get prayer and encouragement and a release. And nobody needs to know loved ones. That's why we have an advocate called Jesus Christ. But never forget, this is what this passage talks about. He says, God can redeem you. Whatever it is, whatever you've done, whatever destructive thing taken place in your life now, last week, last month, 30 years ago, he says, I can redeem it. I can buy it back and use it for your personal benefit, for your future and the benefit of others. Why? Because in Christ, everything we need is in Christ. Christ, the incarnational Christ. He simply entered into our lives. 
He entered into their lives, and now he has entered into our lives as we've responded, as we've responded to him. And the thing is, is even when we don't respond, and this is what, what is so mind-boggling and kind of brought up on Friday morning, is even when we don't respond, you know what? He still loves us. And he comes to us today, and he would say this to you, Colossians 1.27, that Christ in you is your hope in glory. Because I know some of you be sitting here, well, you know, oh, I can't stop addiction of drinking or drugging. Oh, but Christ in you can. I can't stop worrying. You know what? Sooner, yeah, I, I think the Christ in you can. I can't forgive that jerk who did the, yeah, 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 you can. The Christ in you can. He can lead you to do that, to live that way, to experience life that way. And hear me, it's not about what you do, although you do need to do something in it. You do need to cooperate with his works and purposes for your life. That's what Philippians 2, 12, uh, 13 and 14 talks about, that you work out what God has worked in you in terms of salvation. It isn't just kind of a case of raw set back and let God. You gotta work and you gotta cooperate with what Jesus wants to do in you. But it will only really begin to happen when you start to press into, and you're not going to fully understand it, but you begin to grasp the depth of his love and his acceptance and his embrace and his forgiveness. Because so many of us have received strokes for the good that we do. And you know what that leads us to do? Try harder. See, if you grow up in a low affirmation place, a low acceptance place, what you'll begin to do is you'll begin to get onto this treadmill of works where you'll always be trying to do more and more. You'll get some affirmation, and then what do you do? You work harder to get more because then it becomes like a narcotic to you. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You don't have to work to get my acceptance and love and forgiveness. You just gotta work with me. Walk with me. Be with me. And see, there's this delicate, delightful balance to this whole thing. Jesus said in John 1, John said about Jesus, he said he came in grace and truth. The two things that bookend Jesus' life were grace and truth. And they're almost extremes. But Jesus was the personification of the perfect balance of those. Because see, grace says this, Jesus knew what he got in you when he got you. And he was totally happy with that. He was, that, that, that was pleasure to him that you got to invite, that, that you got to become part of his life. Uh, but here's the truth. He loves you too much to leave you there. See, the grace is he accepts you as you are, but the truth is he's gonna be continually working in you, with you, to transform your life. And, and I just, I think this is the thing, loved ones. Some of us this morning probably need to get off the spiritual treadmill and simply walk with Jesus because we begin to know, not only in here, but in here, he loves us. He, he accepts us. And he forgives us. And every one of us need to know that. And can I tell you something else? Everybody out there needs to be aware of that. And the second thing is everyone has worth. Everyone has worth. So many people outside the church, you know why they feel alienated and why they don't think we like them? Because we're always warring against them. 
We're warring against culture. We're warring against their views. We're warring against their lifestyle. And instead of loving them and accepting them and somehow trying to communicate and, and, and massage into their hearts and their thinking and their lives, that Jesus says, you don't got to change to come, but when you come, ultimately he'll begin to change you because you'll want to, not because you have to, not because you got to follow a set of rules. But see, the church has basically said to the community that you don't have value if you don't agree with us. And that's why we need to be a healing community to a healing world, to a hurting world. That's why some of you today, you got some deep hurts that Jesus still wants to heal, still wants to touch. Because every person matters to God. Every person has this incredible and invaluable worth before Christ. You know why? And I don't care if it's Charles Manson and that blows some of your mind. Or if it's you sitting in this room today, every one of us has been imprinted with the life of God. And a lot of Christianity, it talks about how unworthy we are. We call it worm theology. And can I tell you, it is true. We are sinners. We are unworthy. We don't deserve the greatness of what Jesus come to do to die for our sins and to bring us into a relationship so that it could be Christ in you, Christ in me, the hope of glory. He didn't do it, though, because we deserved it. He did it because we needed it. The Bible tells us he did it as a gift. You don't deserve a gift. You receive a gift. I used to... I, I used to say to people, oh, you don't have to get me a gift. And you know what they would say nicely while they're smiling? I know, I wanted to. And I go, oh, yeah. But you know what my problem was? The reason I couldn't accept it or, or had a hard time receiving it is because I never thought I was worthy. I didn't do enough. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't nice enough. And some of us sit here today, we feel the same way with God. And he says, no, let's start here. This is a gift. Just receive it and accept it. And when I really begin to understand that, can I just tell you something? Now I receive gifts really happily. <laughs> now, I, I, don't, I still don't feel like I deserve anything. But by golly, I go, well, thank you. Thank you very much. And some of you need to do that with Jesus. You're not worthy. But you need to say, I receive it, it's mine. Because God gave the gift of his son to this world, to you and to me. And every card-carrying human being can receive it, not because we're worthy, not because we can ever pay it back, but because God decided to do it and we get to receive it. Hear me. Unworthy doesn't mean worthless. And too often the church can communicate that. You're a dirty, rotten, scumbag sinner, and you are. <laughs> and I am, and we will be. But hear me, that doesn't mean we don't have worth. If you don't believe this, you'll never receive and believe the things that Christ can bring to your life or you'll never enjoy them and you'll push it away or you won't trust it.
We must never forget we are sinners saved by grace. And I love Paul. When Paul was first saved, he said, he's writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, I'm a sinner. And then I think it was another passage in another epistle, he said, I'm a great sinner. And then he gets to the end of his life in 2 Timothy. You know what he says? Oh, I am the chief of all sinners. Now hear me. There is a realization of the closer you get to Jesus, the greater the sinner you are. But hear me. The closer you get to Jesus and the realization of the greater sinner that you are, the greater you'll understand his love and acceptance and forgiveness. And you won't live as a worm, but you'll live as a child of the king because you'll be able to, to put those two things together and say, oh yeah, ugh, but oh yeah, ah. And you get the difference? I don't have to walk around, oh, I'm just such a bad, bad person. I am, but I'd rather walk like this because of what Jesus has done than like this. You can always tell the worth of something by what someone is willing to pay for it, can't you? Uh, I married a knickknacker. <laughs> and uh, I'll just tell you, I, I, I hate knickknacks. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. You know, over the years I kind of grew that I didn't really care for them. And... Um, <laughs> Because my wife, my little wifey, we'd go somewhere and, you know, we'd be going home with bird houses and plants and women, just crazy little things. And, uh, yeah, okay, well, let's just keep it down. Let's uh, not get carried away. <laughs> and, and you know what? And, 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 and I got used to it and being the, you know, the average husband that I was. I put up with it. And, but with it, and then, you know what I started doing? I, she'd, she'd pick up something. I'd go, what in the world? How much did you pay for it? What's that cost? 30 bucks, 30 bucks, I wouldn't pay two bucks for it, you know? Anybody live there? <laughs> but over the years, what happened was, you know what I found myself doing? I started going into knickknack shops. And I started looking for stuff for her. And it was 30 or 40 bucks and I'd pay for it because I loved her. You know why? That's exactly why. I would pay for it even though it didn't seem that value to me, but because of the value of her life and her love and our relationship, I'd say, I will pay for that. See, our worth, loved ones, while we may see ourselves in the screen and we may know we're unworthy, we still have great worth. And we can never forget this because of what Jesus did for us. He died on the cross. The Father said, I'm gonna give my son because I love these people. And Jesus said, I love humanity, and I will die for them. And when you begin to understand that, it will slap the slack out of your spiritual sails, and you'll begin to sail more straightly, and you'll begin to share that with people, because you'll see people and their worth, not their unworthiness. And that's what the church has to do to influence this world, is to show people the last thing is this, no one needs to be alone. A, a function of the church, the community, the people who make up what the scripture calls the church, the scripture challenges us with the importance of and the emphasis on being in community. 
Can I just tell you something? There's, there's still way too many lone rangers at Creekside. Every staff meeting, I'll say, who do we know that's left? Or who do we know that's falling away or drifting away? Because I just got to tell you, loved ones, I can't keep track of everybody. And people that aren't connected have a great tendency to begin to drift. And God never called us to be solo sapiens. He called us to be in community. Because that's where you're going to grow. Oh, I hope you grow something from Sunday morning. But the best place you'll grow is when there's interaction, when there's connectivity with other Creeksiders outside of Sunday morning. Romans 14, 7 says this, for none of us lives unto himself alone and none of us has to die to himself alone. And that's really the whole purpose of, of, of one of the whole purposes of the church is to develop community. You don't have to be alone, loved ones, because we're all gonna face a number of the same issues, but we can face them with Christ and we can face them with one another. That's the reason small groups are so important and helpful for everyone because it's where you can know others and be known. We see this illustrated in the Godhead. Did you know that? Sometimes we forget. Genesis 1.1, it says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew word there where it says God, it's the word Elohim. El is the word singular for God. Elohim is plural. So he's talking about this plurality of God. We know it today is the Trinity, and I'm probably gonna touch on this after the first of the year so we have a little bit better understanding of it, even though it will still be somewhat limited. But in Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, God, Elohim, God's created the heavens and the earth. And you see it there in the next couple of verses, it says, and the spirit was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that Jesus sustains all things by, by, by his powerful word. What does it say? How did God create? He spoke the heavens, the waters, the stars, the earth into place. So it's his word that spoke and now sustains according to Hebrews 1.3 and it said God spoke. So we see there in the very first, in the very first verse of the scripture this thing called the Trinity of God. If you would, let's go back to Matthew chapter three. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter three. We're gonna see where this Trinity, there it's spoken of and illustrated. We're gonna see it illustrated again. It says in verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And yet you come to me? John's incredulous. It's his cousin. He knows that this is the Messiah. He says, what are you doing? You baptize me. And Jesus, no. Verse 15, allow it for now because this is the way for, get this word, us. For us to fulfill all righteousness or right living. Well, then John allowed him to be baptized, allowed Jesus to be baptized. After Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. Jesus, remember, is the son of God. 
And the heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. That's the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit comes down upon him. And then came a voice from heaven, from his Father. I love this. This is my beloved Son. Oh, I take delight in him. So we see this, this, this whole idea of a Trinitarian God. And if you understand the Bible, loved ones, you know this, they've always, be, always been. They are not created, they are God. They have always been for billions and trillions and whatever eternity is. You, you, you don't have a beginning, you don't have an end. They have been God together. They have been in oneness throughout eternity. Get this, they were the first small group. And at times I've wondered why the Trinity. That's, it's so beyond us. But I think God does this when he creates us. He wants to see the import, the importance of community. If God wanted it, desired it, it's good for us. And then I begin to realize God didn't need me. He doesn't need you. But he loves us. And because of his love, he created us for his pleasure. Revelation 4.11 says this, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they were created. Can you believe it? You and I were created for his pleasure. That's why we're created. And then we messed it all up because we're so unworthy, but because we have worth and because of the love and the acceptance and forgiveness of this loving God, he says, I'm gonna take care of it. So great is his love that the father gave his son to die, to descend into hell so that he could redeem us. He loves us, but he doesn't need us. You know what's so powerful about that statement is, is see, love doesn't demand Love just simply loves. And sometimes we think that God is up there wringing his hands. Oh boy, I hope Terry doesn't mess it up today, you know. Oh boy, I hope I can get Terry to heaven. You know, man, I just, oh. You know, he's a train wreck waiting to, God doesn't do, he's not pacing on the clouds. He's not worried about me. He's not worried about you. Because he knows that when you tap into his love, his grace, his, his himself, you'll make it. And because he doesn't put demands on us, he prays for us, it says. But his creative love for us is a choice, and we get to enter into a relationship with him and to walk with him. It's never a demand. He doesn't need us to. He simply gives us an, an invitation. I love that. Come whosoever. We see that in the Gospel of Mark. He'd go into a crowd of sinners and he'd just have fun with them. And then he'd leave. Some followed, some didn't. He didn't turn around and shake his fist at them. He didn't tell them they were bad people, he just left. And I'm sure there were people that stayed that still followed him. 
So why does Jesus get baptized, this one sinless human in all of history? Remember I said us? He said, this is the way for us. He's talking to John the Baptist. He's talking to the people along the creek there, along the river, us. And he's talking to you and me that we would fulfill righteousness, fulfill right living. See, Jesus is an example for all and he does it. He he does it for you and I. He does for us what any of us would have done for our children. What, What do you mean? Let's just say... I take my family to Santa Cruz Boardwalk for a special family time. We used to have this thing called J&J Kids Day, Jamie and Joel's Kids Day. We always did it after school was out, and it was in between Mother's Day and Father's Day. We said, we get our day, let's give them a day. So we would make this special J&J Kids Day holiday. So we'd, we'd gone to, uh, let's say this happened, I took them to Santa Cruz, and we'd go into one of the little shops there, and they're looking around, and above the, one of these shelves of the, these glass products, it says, do not touch, you break, you buy. Well, one of my sons, my youngest son, Jamie, uh, he always had a wanting that was stronger than any warning. And so, uh, let's say I'm in another part of the little store, little souvenir place, and he grabs something as, he, as would have been his way, and he's looking, and all of a sudden he drops it. I hear it drop, and I go, it's gotta be Jamie. <laughs> and I'm walking over there, and then all of a sudden, the store manager's walking the same way, meeting me. And I can tell they're not very happy. And they got a frown on their face. And Jamie, by now, he's trying to pick up all the pieces and he's got his excuses going, probably. He stands up with the glass in his hands and right above him is the sign, don't touch, you break, you buy. This is what I know. Jamie would have no green to pay with. (laughs) And that store manager with their frown tells me they would have no grace to give. So what do I do? I say, how, how do we pay for this? How much do we pay for this? And I pay. How is it that I owe anything? You know if you're a dad or a mom, it's because it's your son. It's your daughter. They couldn't pay, so I have to. Isn't it true, loved ones, that we couldn't pay, but Christ could, Christ did? Think about the things that you broke. The commandments of Christ, God's laws. Oh, Jesus, how I continue to break your heart. Our own lives are broken at times, but Jesus saw our condition. And he saw our value, the imprint of the Father upon us, and he steps near us to offer us his love and his forgiveness and his acceptance. And see, loved ones, simply our call is to obey him for the blessings that we receive. And baptism really is one of those. Because see, why did Jesus go in? Because Romans 6 tells us it's a plunge into sin our old life, and Jesus is saying, I am taking a plunge, I'm taking a dive into your sin publicly, and he did that on the cross. 
as well as at baptism. And he says, let me pay. And you know what our baptism says? Yes, Lord, I'm gonna let you pay. He publicly offers and gave himself on the cross for us. Now we get to publicly accept and identify with him saying these three words, I'm all in. And I want to identify with you like you identified with me. See, baptism, loved ones, becomes evidence of your participation on the team. It was October 29th, 1921. Tiny Center College in Danville, Kentucky beat Harvard in football six to nothing. It's many consider it the greatest upset in college football history because Harvard was a super football power at the time. They'd been undefeated for five years, and Center College was a college of 300 students. After the game, they interviewed the Center College's coach, and they said, how in the world did this happen? He said, this is the bottom line. We had all 11 players all in on every play. And see, loved ones, when you go all in for Christ, that'll make a big difference. That'll make a big difference in your life. And sometimes we get stuck at certain plateaus because we've never really said, I'm all in. I'm a part of the team. I identify with you, Lord. And we're gonna move to baptism now. I I don't know all of you that well. But for some of you, I think I could say that maybe the reason you just haven't moved forward in your faith is because you've never really said, I'm all in. And baptism is one of those things that begins to move you closer to being all in. And I believe that when you do it, um, I don't have a video to show today, but when we see videos of people doing it, you know what you see? You see the joy. You, You see the joy on their countenance. Why? Because they think they're identifying with Jesus and maybe they're starting to catch in greater depth and degree his love, his acceptance and his forgiveness. You're victorious, oh Lord.